Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Today's the day. Paul Ryan has announced he is not only not going to be Speaker in the next Congress, he's not even running for re-election to his House seat in Wisconsin. An end of a political era, and what an era it has been. Paul Ryan has been so many things in his career. Uh, He's been a budget warrior and a policy guru and a vice presidential candidate and then the principled opposition and then the loyal foot soldier. He does not want to be Tom Foley. He doesn't want to get caught up in a wave. And the unmistakable signal, John, is that Republicans are worried for their political lives this fall. Their Speaker of the House himself stepping aside rather than facing that gathering storm. You didn't mention that he had worked at Tortilla Coast. uh, (laughs) Waiter, yes, that too. Oh, that's where I, I think I first met him. Um, let's let's tick through a couple of the things that he said on the way out and then talk about the significance of this. And then, believe it or not, there's also a heck of a lot of news out of the White House. We're going to be talking shortly with Chris Christie. You want to talk to him about the, the, the latest on, on, on Trump's what seems to be musings about firing Bob Mueller and right. maybe everybody else at the Justice Department. And, um, and of course, about this. Uh, but But here's what Paul Ryan said about his legacy. I like to think I have done my part, my little part in history to set us on a better course. Well, I mean, that's a, a, he's he's a modest guy, but a proud guy. Uh, And he said basically that he had decided the decision that he had already made, although he didn't share with us, although I think I told you a couple weeks ago that it was certainly going to go this way. Um, He, he had said that he had decided not to continue on as speaker of the house in the next Congress which is why he decided, let's just pull the plug now. Listen to this. For me to ask them to vote to reelect me, knowing that I wasn't going to stay, is not being honest. So I simply cannot do that. And and there's a thinking behind that, and I think this was the argument that you were making, Rick, which is, uh, you know, that a lot of people had expected that Paul Ryan would run for re-election in his seat there, Janesville, uh, Wisconsin, and then after the election... Uh, step down with the likelihood that the Democrats would take control or the Republican majority would be whittled to such a narrow right. margin that, that he wouldn't get elected, re-elected speaker in either case. Um, but uh, he's decided not to do that. Now, one reason why Republicans wanted him to do that is, you know, he is in a seat that's pretty evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans. That seat goes from being a safe Republican seat to a very much a toss-up seat, maybe even a lean Democratic seat now. So Paul Ryan may actually be contributing in some way to the Democrats' uh, ability to take over the House. But let me play one more um, sound, but he talked about his family. I just don't want to be one of those people looking back at my life, thinking I spent more time with my kids, when I know if I spend another term, uh, they will only know me as a weekend father. Now, cynics say, you know, and I, I think I think we've both kind of kind of joked about this. You know, it's like it's like anytime somebody leaves or resigns, it's, you know, I want to spend more time with my family. But I have to say, Rick, that sometimes and you're a family guy, sometimes it's actually true. Sure. Um and, and Paul Ryan is a is a family guy. His kids are, are growing up and uh uh you know he's I I think he's a hundred I don't I'm not necessarily saying that's the reason or the, the first reason, 
but I, I don't doubt that that is a major reason behind his decision. Uh, sure, and and I would never I would never uh, second someone's uh, commitment to that or, or question someone's commitment to that. And I I do think though, from the perspective of his colleagues, they are scrambling to hold on. Uh, many of them are contemplating retirements of their own. In fact, there was already another retirement, a congressman from Florida, just announcing that he's going to be getting out his way. Already at a record number, you're going to see more retirements now that the Speaker of the House is not is not uh, running for reelection. The money is going to dry up. John, the money that might have supported House incumbents to, to try to keep that majority is going to go elsewhere, going to go to the Senate, maybe go to some governor's races, places where they feel like they can make a difference. I think the, the, the growing presumption in Republican circles will be, well, Speaker Ryan has formalized it, signed it away. The House is gone. They'll have to focus on other things. I think in the immediate term, we know what leading this Republican conference is like under the best of circumstances. Paul Ryan was drafted to become Speaker because he was really the only guy who could do it. He has, although it's ugly at times, basically kept them together through the, 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 the wild 14 months, 15 months of Donald Trump. What does it look like for the balance of the year? He is saying he's going to run through the tape, uh, finish out the term as Speaker. Uh, the leadership fight that is really not his call, you have to presume that is going to start to dominate. And what kind of sway can a Speaker who really isn't going to be able to raise as much money, not going to be lame able to say, speaker. lame duck Speaker, not be able to say, I'll be back there with you next year. What kind of sway can he have on the Freedom Caucus? What kind of sway can he have on moderates who are uh, in danger of losing their seats? I don't know what the prospect for governance can look like over the next nine months, uh, before the end of the speaker's term, uh, I don't know how you can be an effective speaker. Uh, you can question whether anyone can be an effective speaker in this Congress, but how you can be an effective speaker when you are declaring yourself to be a lame duck. Yeah, I'm going to say there's not going to be much getting done. Yeah. I think they'll be lucky to, to keep the government open in October. Right, stop defaulting the, on the yeah, debt. Yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, so uh, quickly on this, uh, I've got Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, Mark Meadows, the, um, the head of the Freedom Caucus, as, as three uh, potential names to, to replace Ryan as the Republican leader, whether it be the minority leader or the speaker. Who's, uh, uh, who are you saying it's going to be, Rick? I'd put my money on Scalise right now. I'd keep Scalise, an eye okay. on Scalise. I think he's got a good relationship with the president, as McCarthy does as well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't question that. Uh, McCarthy would have been speaker... Uh, as you know, John, uh, when Boehner left, uh, you know, what was it, two years ago now, mm -hmm. uh, if not for a, a, an ill-timed comment in a, in, a, in a news interview that uh, that ended up derailing his bid. Uh, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be in the cards. My guess would be it's Scalise. Uh, he became nationally known a year ago after that horrific shooting at the baseball field, uh, held up as a hero after that for his remarkable recovery. I think there's a lot around that personal story, and I think that relationship with the president will matter. The president will feel like he can control Scalise uh, maybe a bit more. And you're right. The question will be whether that's the House Speaker or the or the minority leader, which is a much different job in any circumstance. Uh, I wonder also, John, if there's going to be two leadership fights. There's going to be one sort of shadow one now to determine who's got the best position. And then depending on the results of the election, who's got a lot of egg on their face, who is who seems like they have more to blame for the for the possibility of losing the majority or if they, if they pull out a rabbit and, and they hold the majority. Does that reflect on one of these guys instead? Well, uh, you mentioned Boehner. Boehner's making a big move today, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, John Boehner likes smoking and he likes grass, so he brings them together, and he is now going to be uh, serving on uh, the advisory board of uh, one of the largest uh, private sector legalized weed uh, 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 initiatives. Uh, a surprise. Acreage Holdings. Acreage Holdings. He's working with Bill Weld, friend of the podcast, former yes, governor yes, of Massachusetts that's right, and, that's right. and vice presidential candidate, along with Gary Johnson. I did not see this one coming, John. This is one of those headlines that you just have to be surprised. But I guess the, the world of riches awaits former speakers is the lesson. Yeah, yeah. I, I 
I mean, who who knew? Who knew? <laughs> Not me. Not that's, me. It's that's, that's amazing. Um, so putting aside Paul Ryan for for a moment, we have uh, Rick. I mean, just it's it's only. I mean, we can tell everybody we're talking to you on Wednesday. Uh, it's 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 only Wednesday. We've had. I mean, a week at the White House that almost seems like no other week, with the possible exception of last week. Um, the the president uh, has, uh, first of all, seems to be gearing up for military action uh, against Syria for the chemical weapons attack. He is actually out there taking on Vladimir Putin. So I wanted to play for you, Rick. I was uh, in the cabinet room um, with the president uh, when when he first started addressing. On, on Monday, the, uh, the, the, the question of, of what to do with Syria was meeting with military leaders, uh, meeting with his cabinet. And uh, as, as, as it was wrapped up and we were getting sent out, I asked him whether or not Vladimir Putin bears any responsibility for this chemical weapons attack. The answer and the answer to the follow-up question was very interesting. Does Putin bear responsibility for this? He may, yeah, he may. And uh, if he does... It's going to be very tough. It's very tough. He'll, he'll pay a price if, if everybody's going to pay a price. He will. Everybody will. Well, uh, there you go. And then this morning, the president was tweeting in response to the Russians suggesting they would shoot down American missiles headed towards Syria. They do have two very good air defense systems uh, on the ground in Syria. And the president tweeted. I mean, Russia better watch out. Missiles yeah. are coming. First of all, I've never heard of a military attack announced on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact that uh, Eisenhower never did that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is this is something else. Yeah, it's wag the dog scenario, too, with all of the other uh, other things that are swirling over in that White House right now. I, I do think the president, uh, he is seeing in, in a number of ways that his words do matter. And we saw the his offhand comment a week or two ago about wanting to come home from Syria. John McCain, among others, believes that that uh, emboldened Assad, that 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 uh, allowed him or gave him a permission slip to to be a little bit more aggressive over there and uh, and launch a, a terrible humanitarian crisis of a of a chemical attack. Uh, and it, in a way, it boxed the president in. It's also um, given him license for maybe the first time, or maybe the freedom, or the 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 feeling like it's necessary to be talking directly about. Vladimir Putin in a very negative light. Uh, that to me is a, is a sea change. Uh, that despite all of the other nice things he said over the years, that suddenly he's talking very tough to Putin. And by the way, all those that have been goading the president to be tougher on Russia, to be tougher on Putin, uh, you know, look, this is this is starting to get a little potentially dangerous here. Right. I mean, we're That's talking right. about serious military actions. What I'm being told by um, some on the national security team is is that you know that there is a feeling that. This strike against Syria must be significantly larger and more and more damaging than the last one, which clearly was not effective, uh, you know, one year ago. Um, there are a lot of Russian forces on the ground in Syria. Uh, the Russians are talking about shooting down American missiles. There's a potential for a miscalculation. Obviously, the United States, I would think, is not going to be targeting Russian forces in Syria, but mistakes happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and once you start getting into this, John Bolton's first week— uh, we know he's not a dove. Uh, we know that uh, he is uh, a, a stronger advocate, uh, maybe than many others, in terms of military action intervention. And the fact that the president now does seem boxed in, that he has to respond in, in some way. Meanwhile, John, is he going to fire anyone this week? Well, let's take a listen to the president's own words on this, uh, because when he did bring the press in to talk about Syria, uh, surrounded by the military leadership, the nation's top military leaders, he went off not about Syria, not about Russia, 
uh, but about uh, a fellow by the name of Robert Mueller opening musing about uh, firing the guy. Take a listen. Why don't I just fire Mueller? Well, I think it's a disgrace what's going on. We'll see what happens. But I think it's really a sad situation when you look at what happened. And many people have said you should fire him. And many people have said you should fire him. I don't know who those many people are, but we can we can follow up on that with the White House. Uh, the president also used a phrase he had used before, a witch hunt. They broke into the office of one of my personal attorneys, good man, and uh, it's a disgraceful situation. It's a total witch hunt. And uh, he seemed to have a little bit of blame for his uh, the, the, the man he chose to be as attorney general for all of this. They raid an office of a personal attorney early in the morning. Uh, and I think it's a disgrace. So we'll be talking about it more. But this is the most conflicted group of people I've ever seen. Uh, the attorney general made a terrible mistake. And what was that mistake? He should have certainly let us know if he was going to recuse himself. And we would have used a, put a different attorney general in. So he made what I consider to be a very terrible mistake for the country. Now, and then we broke a little story here yesterday. You know, the, the actual raid was conducted under the authority of the Southern District of New York. Uh, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Mr. Berman, who is a, uh, gave money to the Trump campaign, longtime uh, 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 ally of, of Rudy Giuliani, a real Trump loyalist, somebody Trump uh, put in the job. And, you know, everybody was going on and on. Look at this. This raid's, you know, uh, rubber stamped, uh, approved by under the authority of a guy that's, uh, that the president put in there. Well, guess what? No, it wasn't. What we learned is that Berman had actually uh, been recused. And recused, this, recused. Does that word sound familiar to you? Recused. I've heard it before, and so is Donald Trump. And this is, John, this is what drives the president and uh, his, his, his close advisors and many of the, of, of the people on the outside that are looking at this just bananas. Because you look around at this and say, well, the president wants his team in place. They want him to make decisions. He's seeing recusals all over the place. He's having people that he picked for this job, uh, for these jobs, uh, say that they can't do it or be told that they can't do it in some, in some instances. And by the way, my understanding is... It was closer to the latter there in terms yeah. of Berman. I think this was a decision that went through a, uh, a process and was basically made for him, um, both at, by Maine Justice and and by the, the career folks at the uh, Southern District. The counter to that is you should maybe you should have chosen different people. And we'll talk to Chris Christie about that uh, that in, in a moment. Maybe you should have chosen Chris Christie. Maybe even that. But people that won't have these, these conflicts. But the president seems to think and he believes that he should have utter and complete control of his own Justice Department. Uh, he is he, he is advocating a very sweeping view of what executive power should be, and he seems to be increasingly frustrated when lawyers that he has hired to, uh, to, to work in these top roles do their jobs as they understand them to be done. You that know, is, it, and that, that leads to potentially that, well, that's mulling now firing them all. And, 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 and to most people, the way this has unfolded would not necessarily be surprising. We have a system of justice. Nobody is above the law, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But you can just get inside Trump's head for a moment. He's the president of the United States. He's achieved this. He is the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. And the people who work for him are going after him. Yeah. It's got to drive him crazy. What is this? Remember the discussions he had with Preet Bahara? You yeah. Know, he... He he wanted to make sure Preet was his guy up there in the Southern District, and when you know when it was clear that Preet wasn't going to be, he got fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he put his man Jeff Sessions at at, at at Attorney General, and then he 
this is just absolutely driving him bananas. Yes. The idea that he is so powerful and yet so powerless. And as he has said, this this shadow, this cloud that continues to dog him, this Russia investigation that will not end. Witch hunt, no clue. The witch hunt. From his perspective, if he did nothing wrong, and believes he did nothing wrong, he can't understand how a year into his presidency he is still dealing with this and having uh, a search warrant executed at his own lawyer's house. His own lawyer. As close to home as you can cut. By the way, as you know, John, that suggests that there are offshoots to the Mueller investigation. That's not yes. Mueller directly anymore. It's a well, different... we now have a Southern District of New York investigation right. that might be more interesting than the Mueller investigation. Uh, we will see it potentially more damaging. So we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we will be joined by Chris Christie. Brought to you by Indeed. Used by over 3 million businesses for hiring, where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions, then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com slash hire. There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil, tweets, an insane amount of chatter. I'm Brad Milkey with ABC News, and I'm here to throw you a lifeline. It's a new podcast called Start Here, where our experts give you on-the-ground access to the biggest stories of the day. We're going to give you some context, some clarity among the chaos. 20 minutes every weekday. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and start here. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Joining us now, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, ABC News contributor, friend of the president's, and commentator on all things political, legal. We have so much to talk about. Thank you for joining us, Governor. My pleasure. My pleasure, Jeff. Okay, so we just learned Paul Ryan is not going to run for re-election. Let me just ask you straight out, because I know you're straight on this stuff. Is this the last nail in the coffin? Is this the end of the Republican House majority? Well, listen, I think it's, uh, it is a big indicator that the Speaker doesn't think he'd be Speaker anymore. Um, and, you know, I think Paul was always a reluctant Speaker. Um, I think it was something that he necessarily didn't, didn't necessarily want to do. I think it's a very, very difficult caucus to try to lead given the divisions between, you know, moderates and, and conservatives. And, you know, I think Paul's a, a serious family guy as well. So I think all of those things play into the decision. But uh, And I think he's also had, you know, at times, you know, difficulty in dealing with the White House. So I think all of those things combined probably made him finally wake up one morning and say, why do I want to continue to do this? So I don't think it is an absolute certainty now that the Republicans won't have a majority, but I think it's another indicator that he wasn't very optimistic that they were going to be able to keep their majority. So if it's not an absolute certainty, can we call it an extreme likelihood? I mean, if you look at the departures here, uh, the, the, the senior Republicans leaving behind committee chairmanship, I mean, even people like Daryl Issa, who you thought was going to stay in the House forever, uh, you know, you, you've had a torrent of departures here. Uh, some of those seats sure. become become up, up, you know, are now in play. But beyond that, it's an indicator of the the, the people in power in Congress, uh, the Republicans in power, don't think they're going to hang on. Well, sure. My even my own congressman Rod Freelingheisen, who was chairman of appropriations and worked his whole career to become chairman of appropriations, and did it for one two year term and is now retiring. And I so I think, listen. It is, it is always difficult for uh, the first midterm 
of a president uh, for that for his party to do well. Um, I think there's a lot of other things going on here as well that make it even more difficult. So, listen, if you're a betting person, you're betting on the Democrats um, for the House in the fall. And, you know, I'm sure that they wish they had a better map to look at in the Senate because they might win that one as well. I think the map will probably help the Republicans significantly in the Senate. But in the House, I think between redistricting in Pennsylvania, uh, some of the retirements in New Jersey, for instance, you know, we have five of the 12 seats in New Jersey, but we're losing, you know, Rod Freelingheisen and Frank Lobianzo. And both of those seats are now at real risk. Governor, I want to turn to the, 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 the latest news in, involving the Russia investigation, the Mueller investigation. You were on Good Morning America the other day and you shared with, with George Stephanopoulos that you've told the president you can't fire the special counsel. You just can't. How recently have you delivered that advice to the president? Two weeks ago. And I, and I think, you know, the fact is, though, that that um, the, the president is, as we can all tell, incredibly frustrated um, by what's going on and how it's proceeding. And um, I think even expressed it even better this morning when he's talking about all the things that he's trying to do while being distracted by what he considers to be, you know, a witch hunt. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, once his attorney general decided to recuse himself, and then the, the Comey firing occurred. Um, it became almost inevitable there was going to be a special counsel. If you go back, I was looking at some things I said at the time um, while I was governor that you don't want a special counsel because, you know, they feel like they have to justify their existence and they're going to go and look at everything. Once you let the FBI and a special counsel inside your house, they're not going to just stay in one room. And uh, that's the reality of it. But I think in the end, the president really doesn't have a practical choice other than to let the, the investigation run its course. Do you think he knows that? I, I, I have, I've been hard-pressed to find anyone in his inner circle or even in, in any position of power who says, look, it's a good idea to fire Bob Mueller. There's a lot of people that will say it on Fox News, and they'll write columns about how he's a rogue prosecutor, and maybe that's feeding the president that information. But I can't find anyone who's saying this is a good idea. So do you think the president has internalized this advice and has ruled it out in his mind? Well, listen, I, I think you got to understand the way Donald Trump makes decisions. I don't think he ever rules anything out, and he likes to make everyone think that everything is on the table because he thinks it increases his negotiating leverage. Um, but in the end, I, I believe he's heard this advice from everyone who's given it to him. And that's why I've said all along, and I said to George on Good Morning America yesterday, that you know I just don't think he will fire Bob Mueller. I don't. But, um, you know, you never know because this is a president who, you know, follows his butt and, and he, you know, makes decisions um, that at times others think, you know, are, are contrary to what should be the, in his best interest. But I don't think this will be one of them. I just don't believe he'll fire Mueller. So we've seen him muse this week about firing Mueller uh, openly in front of the cameras, uh, saying many people have told him he should. Uh, again, I don't know who those many people would be. Maybe it's um, maybe it's Sean Hannity and uh, <laughs> and, and, and and Judge Janine. Uh, but and we and we saw him this morning uh, tweet. Uh, Mueller is most conflicted of all, except Rosenstein. No collusion, so they go crazy. So, is it your sense he's just venting here? This is. Uh, I mean, you said you don't think he's going to do it, but man, if you just look at the guy's words, it sure seems like well, he's building the predicate for firing. 
Well, this is a, this is a president, and I've said this before in the context of you know an interview with Bob Mueller. This is a president who who you know tends to use hyperbole um, in everything that he does, um, and he speaks in absolutes and he speaks in all capital letters, um, and that's just who he is and who he's always been. Um, this is the guy who sat at the board table and said, "You're fired," right? I mean, this is this is who Donald Trump is. From a leadership perspective, I don't. Here's the thing: I, I don't think you'll see him if he decides to do anything regarding Jeff Sessions or Rod Rosenstein um, or Bob Mueller, for that matter. I, although I don't think he will on Mueller, you know, he's not going to feel like he needs to lay any more of a predicate than he's laid already. Um, so I think this is the president trying to move public opinion um, his in his direction on this, and you know also really just having to get it out of his system because he is so frustrated by it and knows there's very little he can do about it. So put on your prosecutor hat for a moment, Governor, if you can, and and think this through with us. If you're prosecuting a, a public official who, it's hard to find an, an analogy because the presidency is, there's so many powers vested in it, but a public official who, in the midst of the investigation, is attacking people's integrity, questioning their credibility, questioning conflicts of interest in this public manner. Could you make that as part of a case for obstruction of justice if it's seen as intimidation against people that he actually does have the power to oust if he wanted to? Could he be building the case for obstruction of justice with every one of these tweets? No, I mean, I've heard people say that. That's just a ridiculous premise. Listen, I, I prosecuted and convicted um, 140 public officials in New Jersey without a loss in my seven years as U.S. attorney. And some of those stayed quiet, but a number of them, including former Governor McGreevy, who we were investigating, you know, was very public in their criticism of me and our office. When you're a prosecutor, you learn to just ignore that stuff. Um, and no prosecutor is ever worried about losing their job, at least not a good one, uh, because you'd rather lose your job then compromise your job. And so, and I could particularly say that about Bob Mueller. I, I can guarantee you that Bob Mueller is not sitting at home at night, wringing his hands, worried if he's going to be fired as special counsel. Bob Mueller's had an incredibly distinguished career as a prosecutor and as the FBI director. And, you know, if he would be fired by Donald Trump, I'm sure he would be unhappy about it, but it wouldn't ruin his, his life. I can guarantee you that. So, I think that's all overplayed. I mean, I, and obstruction is a, is a very specific set of circumstances, and everybody sees obstruction around every corner. Oh, when he fired Comey, it's obstruction. Oh, when he tweets about Mueller, it's obstruction. And Rosenstein, it's obstruction. You know, people fall in love with the concept, and most people don't even really know what it's about. So I don't see that at all. Um, and I can guarantee you that Bob Mueller is not the least bit worried about what's going to happen. He's worried about doing his job as he sees fit to do it and to get to the conclusion of this investigation, prosecute those who need to be prosecuted, and then move on with the rest of his career. So I recall during the transition there was a lot of talk of Chris Christie as a potential attorney general. Um, if the president had chosen and you had accepted uh, the job and you've been confirmed you were attorney general for Donald Trump, let me ask you two, two scenarios. First, would you have recused yourself in the way that Sessions did uh, from the Russia matter? No. 
Okay, so if you you would not have recused yourself, which means you would have been ultimately the authority here. If the president called you, you are the attorney general. You're over there at the Justice Department. He calls and says, I want you, Attorney General Christie, to fire Bob Mueller. Do you follow that order or do you resign? Well, listen, that's a wild hypothetical. And and I will tell you that I don't think that absent the recusal by the attorney general, that there would have been a Bob Mueller. The attorney general of the United States should have handled this investigation. Um, and so, you know, to me... Okay, so, so, it's think, not, so, so we, we have to take this hypothetical one step forward. Let's say that, that Attorney General Christie had decided uh, against his, uh, <laughs> his current judgment to, to, to appoint a special counsel. Or let's, let's just yeah. say you're in Rod Rosenstein's shoes right now. Would you, would you follow that order? Would you, would you agree yeah, to... Listen, all this stuff is just like, I, I can't even put my mind where you're asking me to put my mind. I, That's I, our know, job here, you know? <laughs> I, I understand that. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's my job to give good, smart, responsible commentary. And we have now run astray of that. Yeah. So. Okay, so... so, <laughs> so okay. Yeah. Okay, Rick's going to bring us back bring to it back to Bring it back to reality for a moment. Uh, so James Comey's book is set, to, is set to drop on official Washington. George Stephanopoulos sat down with him earlier in the week. We're going to see that on, on Sunday night. To your mind, Governor, how credible a, a source is James Comey at this point? Has he tarnished himself? The president is out attacking him already, uh, calling him a liar, uh, saying he was right to have fired him. Do you view James Comey, a man you've known for a really long time, as credible? credible uh, in, in what he's about to say about the circumstances around his firing. Well, listen, I, I, as I've said a number of times um, over the last year or two, um, I've known Jim for a long time. I have great respect for him as a prosecutor. Uh, he was the pros- he was the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York uh, for a period of time while I was the U.S. attorney in New Jersey, and so we did a lot of work together. Um, and, and so I have great respect for him. I said, but let me just say, um, I think he really made some enormous mistakes in the course of the Hillary Clinton investigation. And, um, and I think that he hasn't been willing to admit those mistakes. And I think his unwillingness to admit those mistakes, um, you know, makes him less credible um, in the stuff that he's about to say. And I also think that, you know, um, for him to be, you know, tweeting things out about, you know, challenging the president, we'll see whose credibility is believed and all that. Um, I think it's it's Jim's biggest weakness, which is his need for attention. Um, and in the jobs that he had, especially FBI director, um, you, you shouldn't be having that need for attention. You should be just doing the job. And uh, you see the current FBI director, you never see him in front of the camera. I mean, you know, unless he's on Capitol Hill giving testimony that he's required to give, Chris Ray is never in front of the camera, um, and Jim loves being in front of the camera. So, you know, that, um, I think, is a weakness, and I think it affects his credibility and will affect his credibility going forward here. He made some significant mistakes in the Clinton investigation, which no doubt had an impact on the 2016 election, and nobody in law enforcement should ever be in that spot. Based, based on that, based on the hindsight of the last year, was President Trump right to fire him? Well, listen, I think that the president should have examined this during the transition. And if he was going to do something, should have done it then. Um, and I, that would have been, 
I think it became much more complicated later on. Uh, but in the end, I think Jim Comey, I think Rod Rosenstein's memo was correct. I think Jim Comey did more than enough during the Clinton investigation um, to merit him losing his job. Um, but that's something that everybody knew in November and December of 2016. And, you know, if I were still in charge of the transition, that's one of the things that I would have put on the president-elect's plate for him to make a decision about then. Because if you're going to start with a new attorney general, a new deputy attorney general, and you have the concerns you have about the FBI director, if you're going to make a change, that's the time I think would have been the most appropriate time um, to make a change. So uh, before you go, I want to uh, ask you about the, uh, the, the the big development that got the president so angry this week, the uh, the, the raid of, of Michael Cohen's office, his home, his uh, hotel room he's staying in. What 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 is what is your read of how worried the president should be about what was behind that raid, what might be uncovered in that raid, and uh, the, the decision that was approved both by the the, the Southern District uh, of, of New York and by uh, by Maine Justice? Well, listen, as a former U.S. attorney, I can tell you it's a very high bar to get permission to execute a search warrant on any lawyer's office, let alone one of the president's lawyers. So I think that's an area of real concern um, because I think any federal judge is going to look at a search warrant application like that with great scrutiny. Um, and the folks at the Justice Department are going to you know, really, really take a hard look at the evidence that's there. So I think that should be concerning to Michael Cohen. Now, what this means for the president, who knows? Because let's remember now, Michael Cohen is no longer an employee of the Trump organization. He has his own practice and was representing clients other than the president in addition to the president. So, I mean, no one would like to see one of their lawyers have their uh, have their offices raided and their computers and their papers taken out of their office. It's never good um, for that to happen. But I, I want everybody to just like take this one step at a time. The person who shouldn't be sleeping is Michael Cohen. Now, you know, what happens with the president and Michael Cohen's other clients is something we'll see as the investigation continues uh, and we see what they really uncovered in the, in the, the, uh, the raid on the offices. But in the end, this is a really bad day, first and foremost, for Michael Cohen uh, because it's an extraordinary step to search. It, it happens, but it, it's... It's a high bar to search a, a lawyer's office, and um, the guy who should really be worried is Michael Cohen. All right. Governor Chris Christie, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Always appreciate getting your insights. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for the crazy hypotheticals, too. You make it <laughs> Hey, we're, we'll do a few more next time, all right? You know how I like those. Okay. It's fun to be called ridiculous by uh, by Chris Christie every once in a while. Thanks, Governor. You haven't called you hadn't called me ridiculous in in, in months. I mean that's uh, that was good. Because I've I've been a candidate for months. So that's, you know, that's <laughs> Take care, Governor. Thank you. Take care. Actually, I think he called you ridiculous. Okay, sorry. I think you were just wild, wild with your hypotheticals. By the way, can we before we close out the show at least acknowledge? that I was the one that said that Paul Ryan, I, I predicted quite flatly, <laughs> Paul Ryan would not only not 
be speaker again, but that he would seek not to run for re-election to his own seat there in, no uh, in Janesville. No recollection of And that of you said prediction. there's no way. No, I think you went on and the, on. This is total mistelling of, of history. Uh, I just don't understand. You're the political director. I thought that meant that you're the one that's supposed to be telling me always, what's going to happen I'm, in this I'm stuff. always certain in my opinions, just like the president <laughs> I don't, I don't, himself, I, I would get say. It. I, don't I would get say. It. Well, this is a big day in Washington, though. I mean, this this is an end end of an era uh, when it comes to, to Speaker Ryan. Uh, big and, day in Washington. We're, we're like Ryan's departure, the president yeah. gearing up to, I don't know if I agree with Chris Christie. He sounds like a guy that's about to fire a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's interesting. He said the, the, the last time he told the president this, just a couple of weeks ago, there's been uh, reports. There's been a lot that's happened since a, a then. A lot's happened since then. And we know from public reporting that there were at least two instances that the president came very close to firing Mueller, maybe even telling aides to go fire Mueller. He had to have it reiterated to him as recently as a couple of weeks ago by Governor Christie that, uh, that this would be a, a colossal mistake. You've had uh, Lindsey Graham say this would be the beginning of the end of the presidency. You had Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, saying it would be suicide for the president to do this politically. Uh, yet he is still raging against them, believes that this uh, is, is actually an attack on the American people. I loved your exchange with Sarah Sanders earlier in this week with the White House. Did not back up the contention that this is somehow a, a, an attack on America to have the search warrant served on Michael Cohen. That's quite <laughs> it's really, I mean, an attack on America. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the search of a, of, of for, a yeah. lawyer's office. All right, Rick, we got to go. It's a busy day in Washington, as you said. Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. We will be back next week. A big shout out to our entire team, Trevor Hastings, the great Trevor Hastings. We Angie never Yak, forget Trevor Avery Hastings. Miller, the whole the whole gang. Another another big uh, shout Alec Corin, our uh, our our new uh, executive intern. Um, we want to uh, thank you all for listening to Powerhouse Politics. We'll see you next week.